The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. I want to talk about joy tonight. Um, so we, we have, in, in our part of our, our church, um, we have a community of people that live in the mental health community, and we have a missional community for them every week. And uh, what, the guy there that I call our elder, he's 70 years old. His name is Bert. And tomorrow he actually will, he's going to be reading his, his short testimony and, I, and, and listen to this. I'm honored to speak to you. This would be Bert. I attended church all my life. Granddaddy Shaw was a primitive Baptist elder. My family believed in and were born again. I was impressed. We watched Billy Graham and Oral Roberts. I memorized John 3.16, Psalm 23, the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. I was religious but not saved. During Vietnam, I served in the Coast Guard Band and later the galley. One Saturday, my best friend and I were walking the streets of New London, Connecticut. A man gave, me, uh, gave us a business card advertising a Christian servicemen's center. We went, shot pool, and played ping pong. Following supper, they loaded us, a bunch of us onto a bus. We went to their meeting hall in North Stonington, Connecticut. They rejoiced for about an hour using the old traditions with piano and a banjo. They were so fervent. I wanted what they had. Later, I told the director I wanted to be born again. We knelt in his bedroom, and he told me what to say. Nothing happened. I continued to reach out to the Lord. I felt I was the only one that Jesus did not love. Their director put his arm around me as I wept. In desperation, I silently prayed, Here I am. I'm tired. Come get me. Immediately, I had peace and joy. My favorite verse is, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I share that, that in, in a group, one of the ladies asked, does that work? I responded, it does for me. Unto you, therefore, who believe, he is precious. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Read the book of Philippians. It's known as the book of joy. It's only four chapters and uses the word joy more than any other book, book of the Bible. That's Bert's testimony. I love Bert. He's a dear... Dear brother, and as I was praying about, so what do I do this week? I, 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 I he'd handed us this copy of his um, testimony, and somebody typed it up, trying to help him condense it. And like any of us, he could ramble. But that line, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It comes from Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open to Nehemiah. But what does this mean? How does it work that the joy of the Lord is our strength? Recently, we've used the term um, synonymously with joy as happy. We've said our God is a happy God and happy to save us. And there's an upside to that because we understand the word happy. Uh, It it, it tells us about a feeling we have of, of, of joy. So I'm using the words interchangeably. The downside, of course, is happiness is usually tied to a positive event or um, uh, a person, but it's not deeply um, comfortable in the soul, like happy seems to be sort of trivial. How is the joy our strength when life is not good? My friend Bert, and he's a member of our church, and uh, he's had a hard life, and here he lives in um, an adult psychiatric group home, and... um, life's hard for him but how about us to understand this verse though nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 
we need to understand a little bit of salvation history. So I'm going to do a little brief refresher course on how we get up to Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'm going to start with Abraham. I thought that was a good place to start because Abraham is the, the man in the Bible who God came and said, uh, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed or joyful or happy. And all three world religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, point back to Abraham. Now, of course, Judaism says that the promised um, Messiah will come through Judaism and bring political peace and, 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 and the more ref, um, contemporary, uh, that's the word, um, not reformed, the, the more modern Jewish view of this is it's very symbolic and we should work towards bringing about the kingdom of God, the promise to Abraham. Of course, Islam believed that the promise to Abraham would come through the prophet Muhammad. Uh, of course, we who follow Jesus believe that the promise made to Abraham is that Jesus would come and bless the whole earth with peace. Now, Abraham, give or take a few years, was probably about 4,000 years ago. Smart guys like Usher and Kitchen and these smart guys fight about the date. That's kind of irrelevant, but think about it. 4,000 years ago or so, a promise was made that God would bring a blessing that would bless every family on the earth or every ethnic group on the earth. You run fast forward about 1,000 years and you get to the high point of that nation Israel that started through Abraham, uh, the nation of Israel who, whose pinnacle was with King David and King Solomon. That was sort of like almost a utopia, but it was still messy. I mean, even the King David was having his own moral crisis and Solomon would write the text, vanity is vanity, oh, light, everything's vanity, yeah, everything's empty. And then things started to slide. The, 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 the nation Israel started to fall apart. It had bad kings and it declined. It had civil war, it broke into the north and south, kind of like what we faced as a nation. And then in between 605 BC, about 400 years after David, for about the next 20 years, there was Babylon conquered, Babylon, which we would uh, know as Iraq, conquered Israel and started to take people away. This wave after wave of exiles being taken away to Babylon. And, and a lot of the Old Testament is written about what happened in Babylon. Well, <laughs> Babylon itself, about another uh, 50, 40 years later, got taken over by what we would know as present-day Iran, but the Persian Empire. And uh, soon after, that was about uh, 539 AD, uh, BC, all this is leading us up to Nehemiah. Okay, so hang with me just for a tad bit more. So as soon as Persia, Iran, overtook or conquered Babylon, uh, they started to let the Jewish exiles go back. Now, Israel was just devastated. It was, it was a no man's land, a wasteland. And they were going back, and uh, one of the priests, uh, Ezra, went back, and they built a temple in the midst of this rubble. They tried to rebuild the temple nowhere, nowhere near the glory of, of, the, uh, of, of Solomon's temple. But now we get to a guy by the name of Nehemiah, a Jewish guy, back in the, the, the capital of, of uh, Iran or Persia, and he was the, 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 um, the king's cupbearer, which was kind of a, an important job, making sure the food wasn't poisoned. 
And so from Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through four, we read this about Nehemiah. And all this is important because we need to figure out how can the joy of the Lord be our strength? So Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through four, read this way. And in the words of Nehemiah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, which is November, December in the Jewish calendar, in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes. So we know this was actually 445 BC. So we actually can pinpoint that date. As I was in Susa, the capital of Persia, Iran, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So they came back from the exiles who had gone to the wasteland. They came back, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the exile. And concerning Jerusalem, they said to, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued to fast and praying for, for the, for the God, to the God of heaven. A city without a wall in that day is kind of like us without um, septic. I mean, it's like you just can't exist. It's, we can't imagine a city without the modern sanitary systems we have. You could not imagine a city without a wall. Well, the next seven chapters, unique things happen. Nehemiah, the, the king of a Persian notices he's sad, gives him permission to go back and investigate. He comes back and reports. The king, the king of, of Iran says, or Persia says, hey, I'm going to support, I'm going to fund you and some others. I'm going to send more, recruit as many as you can. And he takes a back more exiles for the sole purpose of rebuilding the wall. And that's, and they do this. So if you know anything about the Bible, if you don't you know anything about the story, they do this a miraculous thing. All these exiles in 52 days, seven weeks and three days, they rebuild the whole wall around ancient Jerusalem. Well, that would sound like a setup for a lot of happiness. But the picture we find is that uh, Nehemiah and Ezra the priest, they gather all the people together and everybody's pretty sad. They're exhausted. They built the wall, but you know what the inside of the city was like? It was desolate and filled with rubble. And then, like good pastors do, the priests read the Bible, and they're all feeling totally, totally devastated by how much they've failed to follow the teachings of God. So they're exhausted. They're overwhelmed by, oh, we got the wall done, but the city's still a mess. And, and then the word of God just convicts them about they haven't been following what God taught. And so what this leads us up to is we must find beyond ourselves and our circumstances a deep source of joy, and that can only be the Lord. I'm going to set you up. What I'm going to do right now is just kind of review how the circumstances of our lives cannot produce joy, even though we, we, we commit ourselves to follow Jesus, we commit to being good parents and good spouses and good employees, that, that we still end up without a source of joy that's deep and lasting. And then I'm going to conclude with, why is the joy of the Lord our strength? And I, let me just set you up with a teaser. It's not joy in the Lord. It's joy of the Lord. That's critical. So let's just back up for a moment and go. So we get to, we get to where... Nehemiah has done this miraculous thing in 52 days. He has 
with, with volunteers, he has rebuilt these walls. They've worked hard. But by the way, and we don't have time to go into this, but in chapter four, there's all sorts of opposition. There's these two guys by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah. They're, they're native um, uh, neighbors who don't like this whole idea that the city of, of the Jews is being rebuilt. And so they, they uh, Sanballat, he, they gather some of his people and they jeer at the Jews, making fun of them as they're working. I don't know how you'd feel about like being at work and people making fun of you all day. Maybe that happens to you. Um, but that would not be a good work environment. And then, and then you have uh, Tobiah. <laughs> There's this great line. He says, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I mean, this is a great line. Like, like, like a fox would break down that wall. And later on, Tobiah would send a letter to try to intimidate Nehemiah. So there's opposition. And then on top of it, okay, so they're exhausted from this work in the midst of it. On top of it, the wealthy people are somehow making money off the poor people as they're working side by side to rebuild the walls. And this sort of social dynamic erupts in this little mini chaos internally. So you got the wealthy and the, and, and, and the impoverished having a battle even as they're trying to build the wall. That would be exhausting. And, and, and again, they're getting this thing done in 52 days. On top of that, um, let's see. What do we, tell you what, I didn't tell you what. Let's see. So here we go. Why do we need to look beyond ourselves for joy? We're exhausted from the hard work. The work that God has called us to do, to be good spouses to be good parents to be honest workers to you know follow Jesus and this is at the heart of it is following Jesus I'm going to tell you it's exhausting it is downright exhausting to fight sin the devil and our own flesh it's just exhausting um on top of it you go to the next one there overwhelmed by the need so they get the wall up but the wall is around what a dump the place, so all that's in the city now is this sort of not quite perfect temple rebuilt that doesn't quite match the glory of the old days. A lot of rubble from all the houses and a wall. That's it. And um, it says in chapter 7, verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses have been rebuilt. So even though they've done this Herculean thing together, they rebuilt the, the wall in 52 days, they're now looking like, oh my goodness. Now we got to, the work really begins. L- let me just, before going further, saying, doing the work of God is often exhausting. I don't care what your role is in the family of God. If you're part of God's family, regardless of what you do, it is tiring. And as much as we see God do things, and I've been pastoring now 30 years, and I got more joy than I've ever had, but it's honestly not about like the success of ministry. Although those are like, you can look around and see like we're pointing at, or we've got an elder candidate who came to Christ in our church like six years ago. And that's just like to me an amazing thing. A guy who's totally lost, comes to Jesus, grows in his faith, matures, and now he's a candidate to be an elder. That's like, but... Even with that, I mean, he, he and his wife can move to Florida next year. You know, they could, they, that could happen. Who knows? It's just like the work of God is exalting. On top of that, um, 
the needs are overwhelming. Go to the, go to the next thing here. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's up there. Overwhelming needs. Uh, you can leave it up there. Think. Think. Think about the needs. When they rebuilt the wall, guess what was going on? There was a famine in town. We, we, we Americans don't know what like when. I mean, it's like like. Like we get a blizzard and all the bread and the milk are gone like for a day. So that's about as bad as it gets. But famine means the agricultural um, nature of their, their livelihood wasn't doing well because there was not a lot of rain or there's pestilence. So they're rebuilding. They're overwhelmed by the need because there's, there's, um, the resources are poor. Oh, by the way, the people building the walls, never, most of them had never built city walls before. In fact, there's an interesting line in there. They, they, they go through, uh, in Nehemiah, if you were to read the, 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 I think it's 13, 14 chapters, um, they talk about who built what sections of the wall, and they go through the list of the people. The li- just, just listen to these families. Uh, Uziel, the son of uh, Harabai, uh, he was a goldsmith, and he repaired his section. So a goldsmith building a wall. Next to him was Hanani, one of the perfumers. Like, like, scenty stuff? That's his profession, and he's building part of the wall. And it goes, there's one guy and his seven daughters, or I forget how many daughters, they're building a part of the wall. I mean, he's like, this is unskilled labor. Kind of feels like the church. Like, like, we're like just normal struggling people trying to do the work of Jesus. And then, after the wall's done in 52 days, the pastors decided to do a good thing. Let's read, let's pull out the, let's pull out the Bible. And so, and this is leading up to the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me just read chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man. By the way, it's about 40,000 people, which you need to know is not a lot of people in a, that whole area. And most of them didn't live in the city, so they're coming in from their farms about 40,000 people, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they, told, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand that, what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from the early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand now, I understand when they heard the word of the Lord, it's like you and your electronic device. You know how you, this communicates to you? Well, to them, hearing something read was as mesmerizing as our device. I mean, that's, they, were, they were an oral society that were tied in from early morning to midday. Um, they heard the scriptures, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, I want to skip down. We're almost coming to the part where it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm going to skip down to verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense, there were people explaining what the, the words meant, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priests and the scribes and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Look, look at this. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. I'm going to stop right there. That's verse, verse 9. So, so they're exhausted from building these wall, the walls, and then they look around, and, and the city is still not like, okay, we got the walls up, but the city is a mess. 
and they're getting outside flack from Tobiah and Sanballat. They've had internal conflicts. And then they decide to read the Bible. And they find out, we're not really following this thing. We are a mess. We are a mess. And that's convicted by failure. So now we can go to the next slide, Steph. Why is the joy of the Lord our strength? The Lord does not get tired. You see, we get exhausted, but look what it says in Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he does not faint or grow weary. Now, I'm gonna, this, you remember I said, it's not joy in the Lord, it's joy of the Lord. How happy is God that he never gets tired? He doesn't get exhausted. He does not run out of resources. He, the Lord, it says there, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Now, the ends of the earth include, um, we were visiting with some friends. They were up from Pennsylvania this week. They helped start our church 15 years ago. Young couple moved up here for two years. And they had, she's, a, she's like a master gardener. And they had in their house built a little like mesh tent that they put caterpillars in that then laid most of them are monarchs, not all, that did the, did the whole like cat- um, cocoon thing, and then they hatched these monarchs and other butterflies in their house. The Lord did that. The Lord made those. The ends of the earth are like butterflies. Okay, I mean, that, that's, that's God, does, that's his creativity. We've just, we're watching hurricanes and volcanoes and... Um, uh, earthquakes rattle the earth. They're, they're under the keeping of God. You know, like we just had that 20-year that uh, satellite that was circling Saturn finally die, do a death dive into the, in, I don't know if you've watched that at all. Uh, and we go, that's pretty, that's pretty spectacular, 20-year satellite. That's nothing. Think how long God's got the galaxies and universes out there spinning at his whim all that to say is the creator of the ends of the earth he does not grow weary or faint or grow weary why is this joy in the lord because when we're weary our father is not when we're exhausted he's laughing he's happy he's going in fact if you read further in isaiah it says and he gives power to the faint. My life verse comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, and it says, when I am weak, he is strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength because when we are weak, he is strong. Put up the second one there, Stephanie. The Lord, why is the joy of the Lord our strength? The Lord has endless resources. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12 say, For every beast of the field is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness is mine. One of the songs we're singing that that Matt was leading us in says, The breath in my lungs, it, it belongs to him. So when we get weary of resources... Like doing, doing mission work for Jesus in New England is, is laborious. One of the reasons is because there's so few resources. 
When we get like overwhelmed that there's just not enough, we have a God, a Father who's generous, who loves us to turn to him. He is filled with joy and happiness because while we are running low, he, he doesn't run low at all. In fact, I, I didn't put it up on the Psalm. Um, it's not up on the screen, but Psalm 116, verses 12 to 13 one of the questions that psalms is, is what shall i render to the lord for all his benefits to me you know what the answer to it is i will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the lord in other words the way we honor the lord for all his benefits is we say um lord i need more we lift up the cup of salvation and say god i need more my mom used to sing an old fill my cup lord i lift it up lord it's this, this idea that the only way we, the only thing we can benefit, we can give the Lord is saying, God, I need more of your resources. So in the midst of our lives, in the midst of being exhausted and having, being overwhelmed by the needs around us with so little resources, we have a God who does not weary and we have a God who has endless resources. And finally, this is to me like the kicker. Okay. The Lord has cared for us this day. The joy of the Lord, the strength in this text. Let me, let me continue reading. Verse 10. Then Nehemiah said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the word that was declared to them. Now the very next text, they discover, you know what? This time of year, you know what we're ready for? They haven't been practicing this. It's the feast of booths or tents. Now you and I going, what is that? Well, one of the commanded feasts of the Lord in the law was that every fall, the last feast after the harvest was the seven days where they were supposed to build these like little tents out in their backyard and go live in them and celebrate like they were pilgrims leaving Egypt. Now, why, why is that? And, and feast the whole week. How was how that good? Because it caused them to remember the, the, the redemptive story of God, that they'd been enslaved, which is a picture of us being enslaved to our sin, that God sent Moses, which is a picture of Christ, that God sent the Passover lamb so that the angel of death passed over them, which is a picture of the cross, that God would deliver them out of, of slavery, out of the bondage that, they, all that, that, that had been their identity, would lead them through the Red Sea, which is kind of a picture of baptism, actually gets kind of played in there, that God is, delivers us and then leads, feeds them, brings water to them, protects them, and he's got them here in the promised land. That was the Feast of Booths. That was what they're supposed to do for seven days, remember all of God's work. Why is the joy of the Lord our strength? The Lord has cared to, for us to this day. And we kind of look back and go, yeah, he's been faithful. He has been faithful. He's been faithful. He's been faithful. You see, the joy that God has in delivering us, the happiness of God to happily save us, is something that we must continually celebrate and remember. 
a little while later, they would dedicate the wall. They would dedicate, they'd have a de prayer dedication. Because they, again, just remember what happened. They, they got this wall up, but they, they were perfumers and goldsmiths and guys with seven daughters. And I mean, they were not, per and they had Sambai and Tobalit, and then they had fights between the wealthy and, and the poor people. And it was in time of famine. And they got it all up, and then they look in the city and go, this, why do we put a wall around this dump? And they were exhausted, and they saw that there was work to yet to be done. And then they read the Bible, and they realized, we haven't been following any of it. They're mourning, and, and, the, and, and the word from, from the Lord to them through, through uh, Nehemiah and, and Ezra was this. The joy of the Lord, the one who has inexhaustible resources, who never tires, and who has brought you to this place, the joy of the Lord, let that be your strength. Be happy in what God is happy in. He's happy to give you his strength. He's happy to give you his resources. And he's happy to have delivered you. In fact, set up tents. Do the whole seven-day feast thing. And they do. That's what happens at the end of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah ends with this, and we'll end with this verse. Nehemiah 12, 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Listen, following Jesus, doing the work of God, it's exhausting. The needs are greater than we have supply for. Uh, and then we wrestle with our own sin. It, we should be depressed coming to church <laughs> for those very reasons, right? But the joy is the Lord. What, he, his hap, what he's doing, he has no problem with supply. He's not getting tired. And he has been carrying on this, this salvation story from the beginning. And he wants us to park and, and, and feast a little bit uh, and, and rejoice because of what he's done. And so tonight we end with a little feast. We'll eat a little bit over there, but we're, remind, we're reminded of the Lord's death until he comes. We understand we live under a new tent a new, a new uh, the, the true salvation story, the true deliverance, that, that we take communion as a reminder that all of my sins, all of my weakness, all of my lack is, is, is crucified in Christ and buried, and we're, we live in the power of resurrected Christ who has conquered all these things. And so in the midst of our struggle and our exhaustion and the needs, and, you know, the pastors, we, we kind of have this sort of unique picture of it because our job our professional hours are wrapped around the kingdom of God that in the midst of all that and our own failures the joy of the Lord is our strength he's a happy God and he's doing good things his resources have no limit he's not tired he has done all the saving work up to this point and he'll continue his salvation story through the work of Jesus through the preaching of his gospel that Christ will set people free and our purpose our, our, our response is the joy of the Lord is our strength so tonight I'm going to pray I'm going to take communion together have them close with prayer and song and eat together but in the midst of maybe feeling exhausted maybe looking around at your own family your own life your own calling your own place and you're feeling pretty exhausted feeling pretty, pretty like, uh, like limited. And then maybe you're wrestling with your own failures like we all do. The joy of the Lord, not joy in the Lord, his joy over what he's doing and his supply and his ability to provide and his salvation work, his joy is our, that, that 
if God's happy, we could be happy, okay? If he's filled with joy, if he's not like stress going, oh, I wish I had more resources. God doesn't have a tired, you know, he doesn't, have, he doesn't get worn out and sin doesn't affect him. That's, that's our strength. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for this passage. I thank you for this promise. And I thank you for my brother, Bert, who, who through his testimony pointed me to, to, to remind me that, Lord, you are a God filled with joy. You have, you're, not, you're not panicking. You have no lack. You're not tired. You're not affected by sin. And you want us to find our strength in your joy and, and, and respond out of, out of that with, with joy not because we're maybe less tired or, or we see all the resources provided or uh, we've conquered all the sins in our lives, but Lord, because you are God, you are our God, you will provide, you will sustain, you will strengthen, and all of our sins are born in Jesus. This is reason for us to be happy and to rejoice in the Lord. So thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.